Heavenly Father, we thank you for these songs. And as the song said, we pray that your Holy Spirit is here. Fill this place. Not just our building, but our entire atmosphere that we have, Lord God. We lift it up to you. I thank you for being with us, for choosing us, guiding us, loving us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us. Let us be a light during these dark times. I pray that it is your Holy Spirit, that it is your word that flows through me today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you have given us. And thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you can do on the cross. In your name, amen. Good morning. I am very happy you're all here. Uh, it's been quite a morning. Um, you know, I kept thinking uh, this morning about uh, not only Pastor Chris being gone and, and wishing he was back um, very much, uh, but also thinking about, you know, this upcoming week. So next week will be the four-year anniversary that Pastor Chris has been with us. Uh, the first Sunday he was with us, I believe, was August 14th, uh, 2016. And so that's an exciting thing, right? And so next week will be kind of that, that Sunday where we can celebrate that, which is a lot of fun, and I think that's great. But when thinking about that, I also thought uh, as things were going awry this morning, um, the enemy was having his way a lot uh, this morning, not only with our equipment, but with me, uh, which is not very good when I am up here hopefully wanting to speak of God's glory. Uh, and so that was, a, that was a bit challenging for me this morning. And I kept thinking about Chris being here for the four years. And as many of you know, the first few years that he was here and even up through this year, the enemy has really attacked him and his family. And they have been under that spiritual attack for the entire time that they were here and even before, right? And we are all under attack by the enemy, um, which is very interesting uh, because of the issues that we were having. I know it was from the enemy. I know because a lot of, as I was telling people this morning, a lot of the equipment we have in the back in the sound room area is fairly new. There's no other explanation as to why things would be going awry except through the enemy. So Annika, who's in the back helping, which I am um, eternally grateful for, uh, is like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, no, I am not. <laughs> right? But we have hope in Jesus. We have hope in our Father. And we're going to kind of look at that today because we are going to take hold of eternal life. That's what we are fighting for. That's what we are living for is eternal life. That prize in which God has promised to all those who believe. It's not something of this world because as I tell my kids, and I know I've told you before, if it were easy, everyone would do it. But it's not easy following what God has for us. It's not easy to slow down, to calm our hearts and our mind, to listen to what God has for us. And I apologize this morning because I had some great pictures that I wanted to share, but that all went haywire um, this morning. So no pictures of Maddox. Uh, this morning, um, but uh, 
Uh, I wanted to really uh, dive into what we're going to talk about today, which is really the second half of 1 Timothy 6.12. So last week we talked about what does it look like to fight the good fight of the faith. We are called soldiers in his army. We are told that we are his body, the body, his hands, his feet, his arms, his legs, right? And everybody has a part to play. And as Paul is writing to Timothy here, he says, we need to fight the good fight of the faith. We need to take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, if we are to fight that good fight of the faith, as we kind of talked about last week, for all of us, when we are called home to heaven, we are hoping that God, our Father, says some magical words to us. And we're really hoping that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So I started thinking about that. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that comes from Matthew 25, verses 21 through 23. Really, that's the two verses, 21 and 23. That's where that word is said. That phrase, sorry, is said. Well done, good and faithful servant. But when I look at my Bible, at Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, it says it's the parable of the talents. So I was reading that, and we kind of, for a lot of us, know and understand what that parable is talking about. And it's Jesus talking, and he says, there are three servants, and the master goes away. But the master gives these three servants some of his property, some of his money to manage while he is gone. And to one servant, he gives five talents, to another servant, three, and to another servant, one. And he leaves, and it's up to these servants to take care of this. Now, the servants that received the five talents and the three talents, they double their money. Actually, pardon me, I think it's two talents, five and two, because I want to always want to say five, three, and one, but it's five, two, and one. So the, the servant that had the five talents and the two talents uh, doubled their money. So all of a sudden, it was 10 and four. But the servant that received one was fearful. So he takes that one talent, buries it into the ground, Sometime later, the master comes back. Now the servant that had the five talents goes, Master, I gave, here's 10 talents. The servant that had the two talents says, Master, here are four talents. And the servant that was given one says, Master, here is the one talent that you gave me. And the master looks at the servant that gave him 10 and the servant that gave him five, or sorry, four, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you took on my business while I was away and you carried that on. You worked at it. Now, when he looks at the faithful, or the, the servant rather, who was, gave him one talent, he rebukes that servant. He rebukes him because he did nothing with what he was given. Now, we all want to hear well and done, good and faithful servant from our Heavenly Father. But in doing so, we have to fight the good fight. We have this master who is, goes away and we, are in, in that we can see that in Jesus. Jesus ascends into heaven and he gives us a charge, right? And that charge is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We call it the Great Commission, Right, he says, go therefore and make disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's how we fight the good fight. That's our charge in that, to fight the good fight. Now, if we do all that God has commanded us, all that he tells us, right, all that he taught us, we will be called good and faithful servants. We will also be fighting the good fight. But in Matthew, or sorry, in 1 Timothy 6, 12, we're told what the goal is. He says, fight the good fight, but what is the end prize? What do we receive out of that? And we are told, right? We are told that the, that, that the prize is eternal life, right? Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Take hold. At salvation, Jesus entered our hearts and our minds and we became followers of Christ. And in doing so, when we became followers of Jesus, we believed in certain things, right? We believed that Christ is our Lord and Savior. He, was, he is the King of all. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross of his own will. He didn't have to, but he did it willfully, willingly. He rose again on the third day. We're told in the Bible that he spent times after rising with his disciples and his followers. And he ascended to the right hand of God. And this week, as I was preparing, we are eagerly awaiting his return. Eagerly awaiting his return where we can spend an eternity with him. Right? Eternity with him. When we are called home to heaven as believers, as followers, as passionate individuals living for Jesus, the prize we will receive is eternal life. And that eternal life is spent with our heavenly father, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We get to commune with them, be with them, and with others who are rejoicing, worshiping. We know That eternal life is waiting for everyone. But the Bible tells us that it is specifically for those who are called by Jesus. We were called, and we have been called before the foundation of the world. And it says that in Revelation 13, 8. And for those who do not know Jesus, they will go to hell for eternity which means it'll be forever eternity without God, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, forever without them. And that's Revelation 17, 8. But for all who believed, they are called. Each and every one of us was called by God. Each and every one of us, of us was moved by the Holy Spirit and because of that, we are called children of God. And we see that in John 1, 12, John eleven fifty two, 52, Romans 8, 16, Romans 8, 21, Romans 9, 8, Philippians 2, 15, 1 John 3, 1, 1 John 3, 10, and 1 John 5, 2. In the New Testament, we are called children of God once we become believers. Every one of us is a child of God. And we were called that before the foundation of the earth. 
And when we came to salvation, we finally understood what that meant. What we are as a child of God. And as I thought this week about that, as I was reading through these verses, I kept thinking and looking at Maddox, who's a month old, five weeks old yesterday, looking at him going, I am a child of God. And I love Maddox so much. And I know God loves me so much more than I could ever. He loves me that much more. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, I, we are children of God. And I was, um, I, was, I was unemployed. I became unemployed at the beginning of March. Uh, and it was hard. And I was frustrated. And I was angry. And I was mad. And I was depressed, really, for a long time. I tried to focus on school, right? I'm going back to school. Tried to focus on what I could do to look for work. Tried to focus on the family. You know, Kristen was pregnant. So focusing on taking her to doctor's appointments. Focus on the kids. And the kids were, you know, we don't know if she's going to go back to school. Or at least going in high school, right? It was really hard to focus. And really hard to do what I needed to do. And I knew that I had failed a lot. Failed a lot. Every day, multiple times a day, I failed. And it's hard to stand up here and to see that, but it's true. And we all come fall short of God's glory in reaching that. But the interesting thing is I took comfort that God had a plan for me. I knew that he had a plan for me. I just had to get my brain and my heart up to where God was going, right? And that's hard because that's spending time with him. That's understanding where his path for me is at. And the enemy is good at throwing little speed bumps here and there to, to uh, get me off kilter and to focus on other things. And internally and externally, it's hard to go through things like that. And it was a lot for me to stress over. And I was stressing a lot. But I never lost focus that God was in control, that God had a plan for me, that he always will sustain me, bless me, protect me. And then I kept thinking, what if he didn't call me? What if he didn't call me his own? And that was a place I didn't want to go down. And that was a place that the enemy, the devil, wanted me to go down. But I am lucky. In October 1997, I became overwhelmed by the love and the care that God had for me. And it was October 9, 1997. And I was up in Bellingham, and I was at a, a college, basically a college youth group there, sitting in the balcony right next to the sound room, actually where I was sitting, it was me, there was an aisle, and then there was sound guys off to my right. And I remember, like it was yesterday, we had pews in the church, and they were just all wood. So not really good to sit in for over an hour, but uh, at that point, I, I didn't really care. But I was called by God, and it was an overwhelming 
feeling that he, that I had. And I didn't understand it. I was crying. I didn't understand the love and the feeling that I had when God called me. But he did. And it's, it's interesting because even though the past five months have been hard, I took comfort in that he called me. But the, here's the thing. We are called, and we, as Chris has been going through, we are called to be different. After I was called by Jesus, right, and I was born again in him, I received him as my salvation, as my Lord and Savior. When I came home, my family's going, there's something wrong with you. I don't feel any different. I don't think I'm acting any different. And a lot of them felt that it was Kristen's fault. She's brainwashing him somehow, <laughs> right? And, and it's really funny because that's how they felt. They're like, you're different. And I kept thinking and telling, I don't, I know, I'm the same guy. And they're like, no, you're different. And looking back, I, you know, I didn't feel different. And I was talking to them the same way, or at least mentally, that's what I thought. But in actuality, they were right. I was not the same person. I wasn't. I looked like the same guy. I talked like the same guy. But I wasn't the same guy. I was a completely new creation in God's eyes. My heart was changed. My mind was changed. My desires were changed. And they were right. I was different. Now, it was interesting because as I look back, I can see my heart oozing God from it. And at the time, I didn't see it. It just came out, and it was just there. My cup overflowed with his love. And I didn't see it then, but I can see it now. And it, it, it felt good. And it felt right. And, you know, even though I love my family dearly, and they love me very dearly. At that moment, I felt love in a way that I've never felt before. In a way that I can't even really describe what that felt like. Right? What does it feel when God chooses you at salvation? When you finally say, Lord, enter my heart. I am a sinner. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. How does that feel? Amazing, right? If we fight the good fight of the faith, right, we need to take hold of eternal life to which we were called, right? But I want to talk a little bit about, uh, and I think the majority of it is going to be on this next part, right? Because it's about which you were made, Right? Eternal life. Take hold of eternal life. And you were called. About which you were made the good confessions. About which you made the good confessions in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I, I became a follower of Jesus in the fall, October 1997. And I wasn't baptized until March 2001. And after I became a follower, I really had that desire. I wanted to be baptized. And baptism is an outward sign of what happened inwardly. And I really wanted to be 
baptized. And so I was baptized by Pastor Britt in March 2001, in which I had a lot of family there. I had my family who were non-believers and some who were believers. I had a lot of my church friends and family were there. And some of you were there on that day. And it's interesting because I remember vividly, you know, I was baptized right here in the, what I call the dunk tank, right? Ba- right here on the stage in our tank. And as I went backwards and Pastor Bert was behind me and I was in the water and I was coming up because he had the back of my shirt back here. As I was coming up, he pulled me back under. Uh, and I panicked, to be honest. Uh, I didn't know what was happening or why. Um, and, and some time later, it took a, it took a while, uh, a couple of weeks, a month. I asked him, what happened? Why did you do that? And he said that I had a dry spot on my head here, by here. And he wanted it completely submerged, right? But as I'm underwater trying to come up for breath, for air, being pulled back under is a scary thought and a feeling, to be honest. Right? And we are told in Matthew 18, or sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, to make disciples and to baptize them. We are to share the gospel and to baptize them. Right? And so we have a great example of that in Acts 8, 26 through 40. Acts 8, 26 through 40. And it's where Philip founds, finds the eunuch reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And the eunuch sees Philip and he asks him what the meaning of this passage is. Right? So I want to, so Philip, and here's what the Bible says that Philip, so the eunuch asks Philip, hey, what does this say? And then Philip opens his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he, Philip, told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road and came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water and Philip and the eunuch were there and he baptized him. When he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Right? The eunuch's reading God's word and not understanding what's going on. And Philip is there and happens to be walking by and the Holy Spirit urges the eunuch to say, ask this guy. So he asked him, hey, do you understand what this means? And so Philip explains the gospel to him. And at that moment, the eunuch has Jesus as his Lord and Savior as he goes through it. And all of a sudden appears the water. It says they walk by and water is there. Right? So they stop. They go down. He's baptized right then. Now, it's interesting because in our passage in 1 Timothy, it says, about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, the eunuch was somebody who had means. He had money. And as they were riding, excuse me, as they were, as they were going along, he wasn't riding 
or he was riding in his chariot, but he wasn't walking. You know, he was with a group of people because he commanded the chariot to stop. He commanded the chariot to stop, which implies that, that the eunuch was somebody important. And the people around him are hearing what's this conversation between Philip and the eunuch. And then they go down and the eunuch is baptized in the water. And everyone in the entourage is watching this. They're watching this whole thing unfold. And then magically, miraculously, by the Holy Spirit, Philip is gone. He's carried away. The eunuch doesn't care because he is rejoicing what God has done. When I was baptized, as well as many of you, I was asked why I wanted to be baptized. And I did it in front of everybody, all my family, in front of believers, in front of non-believers, in front of you. It was important for me to have people there so I could show them and tell them why I was doing this. It was important to me. And I was able to show them my confession of my faith, to show them in, uh, that my obedience to God. And I was able to do that in a way that they could understand. Show them in a way that I can, they can understand. Because I went under one way and I came out something completely different. And I was able to share sometimes very little, but share nonetheless why I did this with my family, with people who are unbelievers. Why I did this. We are told, told to go into the world and make disciples and to baptize them. We are not told to sit on our butt, like I said last week. That's not something that we are told to do. Sit on our butt but we are told to go, make disciples, and baptize them. Now, the other part of this passage of uh, 1 Timothy uh, 6, 12 is confession. Make the, made, you made the good confession. So as if for some of you, you know, myself, uh, no different, you know, I have this idea of what confession is. And I spent six years going to Holy Family down the street here on 17th, the, the Catholic school. And so my view, mental pictures of confession is different, right? And I know some people, a lot of people have come to know Jesus who grew up going to, uh, as Catholics, Roman Catholics, right? And so they have a very similar view of what confession is. Right? That drums up very, something very specific. Um, and, and it was very interesting because as a child, I can vividly remember getting ready for it. What to say, what the motions were, what I needed to do before, during, and after. Um, and when the day actually came to have my very first confession uh, with the priest, I remember my mother being there and being very proud, which is awesome. She's always proud of me, but it was just her face, right? I can vividly remember her face. And all I kept thinking was don't embarrass myself or her. Really, that's just don't embarrass. Um, 
However, I see that because we all have this view of confession. I confess my sins to God, to Jesus, directly. We confess our sins, and that is a lot of why I wanted to be baptized. To show them that God is the high priest. That God is the one that that I can relate to. Now, for myself, I tend to do that, to ask God for forgiveness for my sins every day, multiple times a day. Um, And for some of us, uh, the dictionary says that uh, confession is admitting that we are at fault of something, right? Of a crime, something that we need to be, that we are ashamed of or embarrassed about. Telling Jesus, as well as telling Jesus all of all the sinful sins that we have done. But it also says that we confess our belief in our faith. It's more than just saying, God, I did something wrong. Right? But it's confessing our faith to others. When I was baptized, I was able to confess my faith, to share my faith with the uh, people around me here. And it was awesome because I was able to share that Jesus was born, that he died on the cross. And all of that work that he did was to save me and really to save all of us. Now, confession is something that we embrace without hesitation, that we need to uh, do without wavering into the hope because we have eternal life. And that's in Hebrews 10, 23. As I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior when I was baptized, we also see many people in the Bible who confess their belief in God as well. Now, this is one of my favorite stories is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Now, we're not going to read all 22 verses, right? But I want to go through this just a little bit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were unrelenting to King Nebuchadnezzar in their belief to worship God, their God, their Father, and only God. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that he threw them into the fiery furnace. And the furnace got so hot that the men who were to throw them into the furnace were killed. That's how hot it was. It says it was seven times hotter. But when the people around watching, they called to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 25, they say, there's four people in the furnace. And now they're confused because they only threw three in the furnace. And one of them says that the fourth man looks like the son of man. But when they came out of the furnace, nothing on their clothes, their face, their hair, their skin, their shoes, nothing was burned or singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't smell like fire, nothing. They were unrelenting, in their confession of their faith. They confessed in front of many witnesses that they were followers of God. And throughout history, we see evidence and people, we hear about people, even to this day, 
who are unrelenting in their following of Jesus Christ. Unrelenting in worshiping their heavenly father. And for the people who die doing this, we call them martyrs. Now, in the late 1990s, so last century, uh, and in the early 2000s, there were a few books that were written, right? And one that I have right here uh, is Jesus Freaks by DC Talk. Um, And the interesting thing is it's a lot about martyrs, stories of different martyrs. And I had this desire yesterday as I was practicing my sermon to look in this book. I had one at home and I, and I flipped through it. I, okay, but when I got here to practice, I had a deep desire to look at it. And it's interesting because I went to the, the youth room and I found a copy there. And as you can see, there's, a, there's a, probably not see, there's a yellow tab in there where somebody had marked a page. And I don't even know how long it was. I don't even remember the last time we even looked or read the book. Um, so I opened it up because I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting because God works very mysteriously sometimes. Um, and I just want to read what this page has right here, what this page says. It says, a Christian prisoner in Cuba was asked to sign a statement containing charges against fellow Christians that he would lead to their arrest. And the Christian said, the chains keep me from signing this. And the communist officer protested, but you are not in chains. And the Christian said, I am. I am bound by the chains of witnesses who throughout the centuries gave their lives for Jesus Christ. I am a link in this chain and I will not break it. As we witness to people around us, family, friends, coworkers, walking down the street, at Fred Meyer, wherever we are at, we are showing people that we are light in this dark world. We're showing people that we are Christians. And we come from a long line of fellow brothers and sisters who have done the same thing. And there's been a lot of them, even to this day, who have died for that. We have made our profession. We have made our confession to many witnesses. And when we are called home, there'll be others to do the same thing. As followers, we need to fight the good fight and eternal life is our reward. As we fight the good fight of the faith and make good confessions, we will profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior in everything we do. It will just happen and it will just come out. And we'll do it through what we say and how we say it, showing people the love of Jesus has for them and most importantly, is available to them. We need to love as Jesus loves. And we need to do it in front of as many witnesses as we can. And we can show love in a variety of different ways. Now, our mission at Bible Chapel is in the power of the Holy Spirit to make passionate followers of Jesus 
here in Auburn and everywhere. That's our goal. Passionate followers of Jesus. Now this world is becoming more and more unfriendly toward followers of Jesus. And it can feel as though it's impossible to follow the Great Commission. Or that it feels impossible because we may get hurt, our feelings may get hurt. We fear what might be done to us. Once there was a man in his family. And they were all by themselves. And they lived with a lot of people. And they felt no matter what they had done, that the enemy was always there to hurt them, to take them, to destroy them. And the people in their community were all around them trying to get them to fall away from God, to do what felt right, to do whatever you wanted to do. It felt as though they were being suffocated and they couldn't see the love of God. And the people were awful and terrible doing what made them feel good no matter what the rules said or not. each person doing what they wanted to do. As I watch the news, I see this sometimes on the news today. People doing whatever they want. And when this happened, in Genesis 6, 6, God said that he regretted that he made man on earth and that it grieved him to his heart. That's probably the saddest verse I've ever read. The world is not doing good. It's not, it's, not, it's not doing good, and it's in a bad way. And this kind of story of, of Noah and his family leading up to the flood makes me fearful because I can see some of that in today. But then we read Genesis 6-8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a man after God's heart. Noah walked with God. God found favor in those who stand for him and who fight for him, who fight the good fight of the faith. And that's what Noah did. He followed God. Followed God. And Noah knew that God, that eternal life was everything. And that he went after, he took hold of that. And we, as we fight, as Noah fights, we need to remember that eternal life is our prize and that's something we need to take hold of. And that is something that we need to make as a good confession. We need to tell people who God is in our lives and that what Jesus is, Christ is, and, and the, the verse says we need to do that in front of witnesses. Our Heavenly Father doesn't forget what we, that we are fighting for Him. He doesn't forget that. He knows that. And that He knows that we are witnesses to others about what His Son has done for them, for us, for our family, for this world. He knows that. 
And it's simple. <laughs> because all we need to do is make disciples. Yeah, that's simple enough. Make disciples and baptize them. I can do that. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Okay. You know, I've been 1997, 2020, you know, 20 plus years, 23 years. Okay. I need to teach somebody or somebody needs to teach me for that long. You know, I had trouble in school just being taught for what, 18 years. Or 20 years trying to teach my own kids, right? Teach them as well as to help them observe all that God, that Jesus has commanded us. It sounds so simple, but the enemy makes it very difficult. But God will always protect us. God will always love us. But we think a lot of times life is hard. Your life is hard. My life is hard. The world right now is a difficult place for a believer to be. Difficult for everyone, really. Believers and non-believers. But we have something the rest of the world doesn't have. We have hope. Because we have hope that Jesus will sustain us. We have hope in God our Father to protect us, to provide for us, to preserve us. We have hope in the Holy Spirit that he will direct us. Hope in a life free from sin, free from hurt, free from disease and oppression. That's eternal life. That's eternally, eternity of hope that we have, that people don't have. And hope is something that is worth fighting for. Hope in God, hope in eternal life is something that is worth fighting for. In fighting the good fight of the faith, and we need to take hold of that because we are called by God before the foundation of the world to make good confessions about Jesus' life and his work in our lives in the presence of witnesses. We have hope in eternal life. There's not very many other people that have hope now, but we do. Now, there's, there's two things I want you to think about this weekend, or this, this upcoming week. One, that Pastor Chris will be back next week, and Joe will be very relieved. Just throwing that out there. Two, more importantly, two, is I want you to meditate on when you were first called by God. When did you come to salvation? How did that make you feel? What did you do? What did your friends say? Your family? Because that is something that we need to tap into, that we have access to through the Holy Spirit, that we need to then use that to speak to others. My life story, my testimony is a powerful tool to get people, to witness to people. Just as your testimonies are very powerful. Some of us may be embarrassed by our testimonies, our past. God forgives if we believe in him. God forgives. 
And when we are called home and standing before the judgment of God, we as believers will have Christ there beside us. When I first became a believer, I'm talking to everybody, very much like the eunuch rejoicing as he went. I remember a story from a friend of mine who after he became a believer in Jesus, he was basically yelling at everybody about God's love. He couldn't not stop talking about it. This world needs God's love. God's forgiveness. And God is using the tools that he has, and that's us. He needs to use his tools to reach the people. He doesn't have to, he's God. But that's his plan for us. And we're told that. We're told that's his plan for us. And it's hard. And it's not easy. And the enemy will throw rocks and stones and boulders and try to get us to go in a different direction. But it is our hope in eternal life, our faith to fight the good fight that will get us to that eternal life, which is our prize. Because eternity is what's going to make us. Eternity with him is what makes everything so sweet. It makes the enduring of the hard times bearable. We need that fire. Pray with me. Lord God, you are the creator of all. You called us before the foundation of this world. You put us into our names as children, your children into the book of life. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit will fill our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will fill this place and this entire atmosphere. We are your people, your children. Allow us to hear your voice so you can direct us where we need to go and what we need to do. Open our hearts to your leading. I pray as we walk out these doors that it is our actions and our love that separate us and that people will take notice. I pray for this world. It is, it is a dark world. And I also ask that you return so that we can be in eternity with you. Be with us this day and this week. Be with Chris and the kids as they travel home. We thank you that Jacob was able to get home safely. Be with Chris's parents as he leaves them. Keep them strong. 
I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just continue to love us, give us blessings, to direct us, and that we have our hearts, ears, and eyes open for what you are doing. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please uh, stand as we finish with a song.